Welcome to AI, Government and the Future, a podcast by Corner Alliance. We explore the intersection of artificial intelligence, government and the future with your host, Alan Pence. We work with government to create results. We ignite your agency's mission by helping you to design and implement high impact and innovative federal programs in AI, broadband, cybersecurity, public safety and more. Being a government ally is at the core of all we do. Introducing your host, Alan Pence. Hey, welcome back to the podcast. This week we have with us George Del Pret. He's a business leader and managing director with Sherry Beckert, and he's a specialist in digital transformation uh, and worked across state and, and local governments and federal government. And just a little bit of... Um, Disclosure, George and I worked together at another company, Touchnet Consulting, like a long time ago, back in the early 2000s. So we're both old guys. So George, welcome to the podcast. Great to have you here. Thanks, Alan. It's great to be here. And uh, gosh, we go back to the, as you said, the early 2000s, 2005, I think, uh, actually 2003, so 20 years. 2003, yeah. Oh my goodness. Wow. I know. Some of the people listening, that's weren't even born. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But George, give us kind of an overview. You've done a lot of different stuff over the years. So kind of tell us how you ended up at Cherry Becker. Yeah, absolutely. So I've been working primarily in the federal consulting space for how old am I? Three decades plus. Started my career at PricewaterhouseCoopers. I you know, did a little bit of work for the Air Force as a civilian for a while and then moved on to Touchstone and Grant Thornton. And all those roles have been primarily serving government customers to help them figure out how to improve the way they operate, and often with an application of technology. After Grant Thornton, I was there for 15 years. I spent some time at Stalin Consulting. We focused on helping federal agencies primarily leverage the power of the cloud and use software engineering and DevOps. And then went over to Cherry Beckert and reunited with a number of leaders that I'd worked with closely at Grant Thornton in August of 2022, and I've been working to help the team expand its public sector footprint. So it's been a great reunion with some really good people, wonderful organization. We've been growing quickly and and doing a lot of really exciting work in commercial and uh, cross public sector, state and local and federal customers. That's great. So George, you and I were around when the Bush administration was doing EGO, right? That's how I got started. I think you were working on some EGO stuff too, right? Yep. And then there was reinventing government and the Clinton administration. And, you know, we've had five iterations of that since then. So digital transformation and those kinds of things. So you wrote about digital transformation back in 2016, saying the time for agencies to do it was yesterday, not the future. So given that kind of broad sweep of 30 years, like, where do you think we are, particularly federal government, but maybe some perspective on state and local as well? Yeah, that's a great question. So when I was at a former company, I led a survey of federal CIOs for about 10 years. And we always did the top three to five things that were on their mind. And IT modernization was always one of the biggest challenges. Back then, you know, over 10 years ago, uh, federal agencies spent 80 cents of every dollar on O&M. And the push for CIOs was, we want to change that paradigm. Why can't we spend 80 cents every dollar on modernization and digital transformation. I um, actually looked at the latest GAO report 
on this topic on federal IT spending. So the, the 2024 dashboard shows that 26 agencies are expected to spend $95 billion on IT in 2024, and $74 billion is going to go to O&M. So that paradigm really has not changed. That's about 78% of every dollar. So modernization is still something that is a continual challenge for federal agencies. You know, I think they have made strides there. But look, we're dealing with legacy systems that are anywhere from 8 to 51 years old using COBOL. And modernization of those things is really hard, right? If you get into a mainframe and you're trying to figure out the code that was built year after year, it's like unraveling a, a spool of yarn to sort of figure out what's connected to what and how we leverage that. Because you have to keep the current systems running. There have been, you know, I think a lot of efforts to move off of mainframes and modernize. IRS is a good example of trying to get off the old system that we use for taxes that's been around for decades and decades. But their modernization plan, it's a six-year modernization plan that was put together in 2019. So that speaks to how challenging and hard it is to do modernization in the federal government. So I, I think there's some progress that's being made. The other thing that I'll add is that I think many agencies have taken advantage of the cloud. So there's been, through that move, infrastructure modernization. We don't have a lot of those old servers and infrastructure on-premise that's really dated. We haven't moved fully, but I think there's some good examples of infrastructure modernization. What was the stat in, you said, was it 85 cents on every dollar before and now 78? Was that the difference? Roughly 80 cents. 80 cents. So we made two cents difference. Cents. Yeah. <laughs> but, there, but that probably obscures a little bit in the background, right, of some of the other progress on cloud and things like that. Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, I don't know the detail of exactly how GAO does those calculations, but I think that there's probably some of that 80 cents that does go into transformation or modernization. COBOL goes even farther back than us. So uh, yes. that's, that's saying <laughs> yeah. something, right? Yeah. All right. So, you know, we've lived through the web and then we had mobile and cloud and cyber and all these kind of trends. But, you know, obviously the new one is AI and I kind of see the government just continuing to try to keep up. So how are you seeing AI is going to impact the federal government? And where do you think they're going to struggle? And where do you think they're the best opportunities for products? Yeah, so AI obviously came on the scene with ChatGPT, and I think it's affecting all of us. You know, the application of AI, both in government and commercially, is a huge change management exercise, I think, for all of us, because we're all going to be impacted by it in some way. I think the agencies are making strides. There was a, another GAO report that was put out a couple of weeks ago, which was an inventory of all the federal use cases that are planned and in production. There are over 1,200 use cases that were listed by different agencies. You can go out and see any of them. They're publicly available on AI.gov. That was one of the things that was required in the executive order that was put out by the Biden administration recently on AI. So I think when I look through those use cases, there's some very interesting examples of things that could be done. There's some great successes also. But we're in the very early stages of how AI can be applied by, you know, government agencies or businesses in general. The technology, Microsoft has a tool they call Copilot to help us take notes and do things. They don't call it autopilot, right? It's Copilot. And the reason for that is there needs to be human intervention 
on the things that any language learning model churns out because they produce information with certainty, but there's lots of inaccuracies in that. So I think government or business needs to ensure that they have a way to oversee what's being produced by the AI to ensure that it's got quality and accuracy, you know, and site resources that provides information and make sure that you spend a lot of time on searches. It's also, I think, very important for government or business to make sure that when they're using AI, that they understand their level of readiness for AI. You can't just go in and turn it on. You know, what data do we have? Is it accurate? Where's it going to come from? Is it ready to be potentially leveraged to use in a cloud-based AI system? You know, looking at those things, can anyone across my organization use it? Who's responsible? How do we understand how it's being used and what data is being used? So I think the governance of that is really critical and important as well. Those are just a couple of examples of some of the things that, you know, I'm seeing in government right now. We can definitely take that in lots of different directions, depending upon how you want to go. Yeah, yeah. No, and I think we'll put in the show notes that link. That's a good set of use cases. What I was struck by with a lot of the use cases is there's a lot of good sort of narrow applications. What I'm a little concerned with is like the level of knowledge within the agencies about the capabilities. So that one thing I've talked to a couple of people about is like, where are we going to see AI sort of overwhelm the agencies? And, you know, I've been trying to think through some examples of that where like, you know, we have a bunch of AIs that go out and discover a million cures and they all go hit the FDA in one year, right? Or the ability to generate comments at will, right? So the regulatory agencies get overwhelmed with comments. And so I think to some extent, there are many great people in the government, but there's a lack of AI talent. I think the administration has certainly highlighted. So like, are we at risk where the government is really drastically behind and will be scrambling. It's almost like AI can become a denial of service attack in some ways, and in a legitimate way, not in a mal-actor way. So how do you see that kind of risk? Like, where do you think the cracks are going to show first? Yeah, I think that the number of people that have expertise in AI, not just in government, but commercially, is pretty limited, right? Not that many people or organizations really are at the forefront of these very powerful GPT engines. And even the folks that are working with them don't always understand exactly how that works. And they all make like $800,000 a year, right? So. <laughs> yeah, or more. It's a good field to go into, by the way. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So I think, you know, this technology is definitely going to be a journey for all of us to learn exactly how to use it and apply. So I think the cracks are going to come not just for government, but for society to figure out, you know, who's going to get access to some of these tools and how could they potentially be used? So it's important that government has a role to understand them and also figure out that if there are bad actors that are going to get used for these tools, that we use AI for good. And we figure out how to find criminals that are using AI and have more powerful AI engines and applications to be able to combat that type of thing. I spent some time looking through the AI inventory, and I think there are really lots of very neat use cases that are in there related to cybersecurity, biometrics that can help with better authentication and facial recognition or voice recognition to verify the identity of users. 
CISA actually has an interesting use case. It's not in production yet, but it's for advanced network anomaly alerting, which will use AI to search through the terabytes of data that Einstein generates every day to find anomalies more quickly. So I think there are different ways that government is experimenting and being able to use AI to better protect us all, which I think is important. But it's going to take a long time for all of us to figure out how to optimize this. So, and that's uh, so, so the Cyber and Infrastructure Security Agency, that's Homeland Security, that coordinates cyber policy for those that don't know, and cyber actions on the, at least on the civilian side. And you mentioned Einstein. Do you want to talk a little bit about what that is? Einstein is a product that the federal government created years ago to do security monitoring for federal agencies. It's a service that CISA uh, offers to other agencies that can kind of track uh, and look for security issues or intrusions, essentially, and then reports the instances of that back to different agencies that they found that. Mm. Yeah, excellent. So just so for people who didn't know about that, you know, I just had a guy on from a software company called Quorum. They're sort of one of the leading, you know, I'd say like Fiscal Node and a few others that are probably moving down this path of creating policy LLMs where they, you know, ingest a lot of the data about different policy areas over the years. But one of the most promising uses I see is the ability of agencies to access tools like that. And I think they can then add their own data that they have internally that isn't maybe publicly available to get a level of precision and policymaking and a level of automation to things like cost-benefit analysis. Or another use case that I thought was kind of interesting, I've talked to a couple of people about, is like almost creating avatars for interest groups, right? Where you don't let the avatar 100% substitute for a stakeholder, but can they give you 85, 90% of what that stakeholder would input? So you kind of get to a better policy faster and then have, you know, obviously you still put that out for comment and have humans in the loop and have the stakeholders feed back, but now they're not feeding back on the 30% thing. They're feeding back on the 95th percentile. Thing. And so we get a much, much more targeted, effective policy. So I'm kind of curious from your perspective, like we have all these use cases, but where do you see the real difference maker, like the broad 30,000 foot level for government with AI? Yeah, yeah, that's a great question. You know, I, it's hard to say right now because I think we're really in the stages of efficacy in figuring out, you know, what kinds of use cases could be created and how they could potentially be applied. I, I think I love those examples that you shared as we kind of experience uh, more climate disasters and challenges. I thought one that was really cool that I looked at was looking at analyzing weather patterns and predicting severe storms, hurricanes, floods, wildfires to improve warning time and preparedness for natural disasters and those types of events. So that's a great application, I think. I like the idea of policies. There's one called the policy advisor that can help organizations review policy documents and look for duplications to come up with, you know, kind of better policies or potentially draft them. So I think those are different applications. But if you think about the business of government and how AI could help, every agency's got unique challenges around its mission. So I think that the task really for agencies, how could we better serve, perform our mission functions using tools like AI? So if you think about security 
you know, at the airports, how could we potentially use things like AI to improve the way that we detect challenges to air traffic or, you know, nefarious actors coming through airports is a great example. But there are many others, I think, out there that different agencies are experiencing with right now to try to determine what's best. I'm not sure I have the right answer at that 30,000 foot level, Alan, for where it's going to go, because I think, you know, as I said, the technology is just a journey with ample room for growth and development. And it's hard to predict exactly how it's going to work. But I think overall, you know, it's going to improve the efficiency with which a lot of federal workers work right? It's going to do a lot of things for us. It's going to be able to digest massive amounts of information and data for us so that we can more quickly analyze and produce results like that cyber example I shared before. And there's so many more applications like that that I think we're going to see. Yeah. One thing I was thinking about the other day is we started experimenting with the GPTs and ChatGPT. I don't think they're quite there yet. I see what they're going to do in the future and become kind of like these avatars that you can train and load with information to kind of persistently and prompts to persistently output information geared to an avatar's knowledge base, personality, all those kinds of things. I don't think it quite 100% works yet. But one thing I've really been thinking about is this retirement tsunami in the government where you have so many senior government officials 40, 50 years older than us, right? 40, 50 years of knowledge. And to the extent that we can capture that core knowledge into a GPT-like thing, whether it's that or some other companies, it becomes this knowledge base that then new workers coming in and new program managers have access to this data from 50 years of experience. Seems like a pretty exciting application that solves a major problem. I agree. I love that one because that's, you know, been a challenge for government is retaining that institutional knowledge that uh, the workforce, which is older, you know, leaves when they leave. So you had mentioned just going back, we're talking about the future. So, you know, it's hard to make predictions, especially about the future, right? But we do know that agencies have to prepare to use it. And you kind of mentioned that earlier. So, you know, we're talking about, hey, we could use it for policy. We could have it be avatars of historical knowledge of this program. We could have this, that, and the other thing. What do you think agencies need to start doing now to get prepared to use AI in a more effective way? Yeah, I think when we help organizations determine how best to apply AI, we take them through a four-step process that I think most organizations could benefit from. You know, typically over a six to 12 month period, depending upon how many use cases they want to implement. But the first stage is really to educate and demystify organizations around what AI is, starting with some training and educational sessions. I thought it was interesting that DHS requires everybody that wants to use a chat GPT type model to get approval from a manager and take an awareness class on language models each week, which is great. So you know, educating and demystifying, I think is really important because people don't understand it. And then building out the case studies, then you, you need to look at your own organization and do some diagnostics on your own maturity. What's our level of readiness to be able to create the model? Do I have the data infrastructure? Who owns it across the organization? What governance do we want to set up? How do we ensure that, you know, the data is accurate and that the tools that we use produce the right results? And then, you know, after that, you're prototyping and deploying results, building on some of the high-end use cases. You may come up with 100, but which ones do we want to start for us? Which ones are most creative for the organization? 
looking at AI vendor selection. Who should I use? Should I build my own? Should I use a public model? How do we protect our data? How do we deploy those models? And then moving into scaling, right? We prototype something that we think has a lot of application. How do we take it into production so it can benefit you know, our stakeholders or our customers? And those are, I think, the steps that we go through. Part of that last stage is change management too. You know, who are we going to communicate to? How's it going to affect different people? How do we engage them in the process so that the application really benefits them? I think those are all things that are are important steps that any organization, government or commercial can go through as they're thinking about their own AI journey. Yeah. And I think particularly one of the things I'm hopeful for on the data side, I mean, government just has an incredible amount of data, right? Unique data sets that no one else has access to. And so kind of rummaging around in the closets for what they have and can make available, I think it's a huge benefit. It's almost like, you know, it's a national asset in a lot of ways that we need to capture. So I think it's a great note there. I think it is interesting on the training side. It's almost like you know, they need to get trained weekly to figure out what happened, what changed, right? <laughs> and uh, it's such a fascinating technology. I think one of the challenges governments have is I agree like in the base steps, like getting data, having a policy, those kind of things are all make sense. But you're seeing this in the private sector where, you know, someone goes out and they made a PDF reader for ChatGPT and then ChatGPT expands the context window and their whole business is wiped out that day. And one thing I think federal agencies are going to struggle with a little bit is the timeline of planning to get something going. And, you know, just look, we're, we're sitting here with a CR in December. Maybe we get something in January, but maybe not. And how can you launch new projects? I mean, the entire AI universe changed from when we started the CR back in September to today. So it's going to be a real challenge, I think, moving with a fast-moving technology like this, where agencies undertake projects and they might even be irrelevant by the time they're starting to engage them. Yeah, that's a great observation. I think the other thing to think about, I mean, for agencies or, or others using it, is that AI can be very expensive, very expensive. You're talking about leveraging massive amounts of data potentially and massive amounts of computing power. And to use those computing power from cloud organizations, you know, like AWS or Google, that costs a lot of money. And they may not have enough available to provide the capacity on the compute that you may need for very advanced models. So there's a real push for compute power. But I think as folks are going into this, you know, part of figuring out that journey is what can I afford to do? What's it truly going to cost me? I mean, it's like cloud. Many organizations that have jumped into the cloud enjoy the cloud, but they're also maybe didn't optimize what's gone there. And they're realizing it's a heck of a lot more expensive than they anticipated. So they're doing repatriation. They're moving some things back on-prem because of the cost. So I think that is a, a really important part of this AI journey is understanding the cost in which you can afford and making sure you plan for that, get ready for it. Yeah, in my sense, I'd be curious what you think here, like in the federal space, there's been AI stuff going on for years, right? We know that. And I think DOD and our three-letter agencies, they've been doing a lot of stuff. So they've been involved in this for a long time. So people have been doing work on it. But on the civilian side, you've seen a lot of RPA, robotic process automation, kind of automation stuff. We haven't seen a lot of advanced AI with exceptions like Einstein and things like that, right? But it feels to me like when the CR ends, if we can get our full year bill, that we might see like kind of a tsunami of 
at least at this point, experiments from agencies looking to, you know, start this, get the training, start looking at what are my options, help me document use cases, help me, you know, start doing pilots. So I'm wondering, do you see like 2024 as the year of civilian AI or how do you see that? I mean, we got 1,200 use cases, right? Only 200 of them are kind of being used right now. So I think agencies are ready. And that's what was available last week. I think that's going to continue to evolve. So we may have 2,400 by the end of the year. I think so. The question will be, is the CR, we need the money, right? But even after we have the money, what do we need to do from procurement standpoint to access what we need to build on those use cases? Do we have the internal teams to be ready to do that? So it's all the things that you need to do to execute on those things. And I don't know how much of that part of it, which adds to the timeline, is going to be done in early 2024 or even when Congress will actually fund the government, right? That's another X factor. I think that if there was no bills passed by January 1st, my understanding is that there's going to be across the board 1% cut on everything per the agreement that the last speaker and the president agreed to. So I think there's a lot of questions around then. And if that happens, then it's, you know, how much can we afford in government and who gets that money and how much truly goes to AI? Yeah, it makes sense. I think it's probably going to take a little while, but I think the next couple of years open up and it's a question of a little bit with what Congress doing and timelines like that. Agencies can only do so much if they get their budgets April, May, June, you know, but I think it'll either be this year or next year that we really see the beginning of that federal experimentation. Well, George, it's been awesome having you on. It's really good, actually. We've spent a lot of time talking about the policy side of AI, so it's really nice to talk about little nuts and bolts in the agencies. And if people want to reach out, talk to you about what Cherry Beckert's doing or what you're doing, how would they reach out? They can reach out to me via LinkedIn, and I'd be happy to share my email address, which is george.delprete at cbh.com. I'd love to talk to folks about what we're doing in the AI space and technology and how we can help them basically work to create that foundation that's so important to be able to take advantage of the power of AI. Now's the time. Now's the time. So appreciate it, George. We will talk to you soon. All right. Thanks very much, Alan. It was great to speak with you as well. I appreciate you having me on. AI, government, and the future is brought to you by Corner Alliance. To find out more about Corner Alliance and how we work with government to create results, visit our website at corneralliance.com and then make sure to search for AI Government Future in Apple Podcasts, Spotify and Google Podcasts or anywhere else podcasts are found and click subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. On behalf of the team here at Corner Alliance, thanks for listening.